Good morning. Oh man, y'all are awake. My name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. Thank you so much for joining us, worshiping alongside us, and certainly hanging out with us. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is found in the New Testament. It's this super small book. You, it'd be easy to miss it. Um, but search carefully. Uh, we're going to find ourselves in verse 16, um, but when I get there, we're going to read, or I'm going to read verses 12 through 15 first to provide a little bit of context, but just so that you know, the, the majority, if not our entire time, will be devoted to verse 16 later this morning. Uh, while you're doing that, I have one thing. It's, I guess it's an announcement. Um, just to give you a, a heads up as to what we're doing this morning. Um, earlier this week, we were approached by uh, our church planning network. We are part of Acts 29. And uh, one of the things that um, leadership within Acts 29 asked many of, the member, many of our member churches was to come alongside of other churches here in the United States uh, uh, for something that we're calling a day of repentance. And so uh, what we're going to do later on after the sermon, actually, let me back up. One of the things that we do after the sermon is that we respond to God's word with prayer. And typically it's a, it's a prayer of confession. And so we're still going to do that this morning. We're just going to extend that time uh, as we lead you through prayer, uh, particularly in one of confession and repentance, but also one in revival. Now, if you're unfamiliar with revival, let me begin by just saying it's not a tent. Okay, that's number one. Revival is defined as a work of God or a work of the Spirit of God in the people of God. And it is primarily done through the proclamation of God's word. We talked about this a little bit last week. Nevertheless, what we're going to do in this prayer of revival is that our churches would experience revival, that hearts would be revived. It is, as the psalmist says in, in Psalm 19, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so we want our churches to experience revival. We want our churches uh, to um, I guess experience revival by way of the Holy Spirit. We want people to be introduced to Jesus, and so we're just gonna pray through that. That's, that's okay, right? And if you were offended that I said that revival is not a tent, or it, it, yeah, revival isn't a tent, I have the mic, so, because um, it's not. Anyway, with that being said, uh, we're just gonna transition into our time before I get in more trouble. So uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of where we've been for the last couple of weeks in case you are new. And if you are, welcome. Uh, or if you have missed out, let me give you a brief overview of where we've been. So about three weeks ago, we started a new sermon series uh, called Liturgy, where we have been examining our spiritual formation in the context of the Sunday gathering. So all of the sermons or all of the topics that we have been preaching through in this series or that we will preach through in this series pertain to the Sunday gathering. And the goal of this series was to simply preach and teach on the what and why behind liturgy. So everything that we do on Sunday morning isn't simply an order of service. It is that this order of service that we have, it is meant to guide you and to point you to the person and character of God, whether it would be through singing, through the word proclaimed, through prayer. Um, we want to point you to the person and character of God. Additionally, we believed that having a series on the Sunday gathering was important because Sunday, for many, has become unimportant or the, the why behind the importance of Sunday has been assumed and even lost. Additionally, our desire on Sunday isn't so much numbers as it is the worship of God in Christ from the church given who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. 
In short, as the church, we must reclaim the Sunday gathering. In our first sermon on, on being formed or shaped by the Sunday gathering, I had said that, that the Sunday gathering matters because it is the fruit of God's work marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is that us coming together and worshiping Jesus is a result of Jesus being alive. It is a result of the fact that he is risen, he ascended back into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that one day he will come again to reclaim his bride, the church. The Sunday gathering matters because not only, I said it this way, the Sunday gathering not only matters because it was the day in which Jesus rose from the dead, but because it was the day in which Jesus rose from the dead. Everything else that we do, the proclamation of God's word, singing or worshiping through singing, prayers of confession, all of those elements to the Sunday gathering are a response to what Jesus has finished. Leading us to today. Today we're going to talk about singing. I already saw some frowns like, oh, oh, this is one of those things that I don't normally do or talk about. Too bad. We're going to do it. And so by, by way of maybe smoothing it out a little bit, let me transition by way of story. Earlier this year, before we all looked like ninjas, Eric and I, you saw Eric earlier up here, Eric and I traveled to uh, Austin to go see two bands. We went to go see Thrice and Me Without You. And if you don't know who they are, it's okay, but you're missing out. However, we went to go see Thrice and Me Without You, and it was amazing any way I could describe it. I don't think there are words, though there should be. Uh, to begin, the, the quality of their musicianship was absolutely wonderful and so professional. Like, I don't know, you could just, uh, whatever, man, I'm not going to try. You know what I mean? It was one of those concerts that you were just drawn in by the quality of their musicianship and certainly the lyrics of their songs. In addition to that, uh, the show was not just entertaining, but it was captivating. It wasn't just because of the, the lights and the smoke. It was Maybe it was the lyrics, all right? But it was just captivating. Again, they drew you in regarding what they were singing. And finally, even if you weren't a fan, you know, sometimes people have an extra ticket and so they'll invite a friend, hey, come with me to go see Thrice, come with me to go see Me Without You, and uh, nobody really knows who they are, but then you show up and you feel the energy of the room and all of a sudden you become a fan and even though you don't know the lyrics, you're just kind of going along with it because the energy is so powerful, not just because of the bands, but because everyone is singing and screaming and chanting and, in, and hollering in the in the concert. Now, I'm getting excited. I'm just thinking about it. I just miss concerts. Eric and I, I'm just going to put this on the table, okay? Eric and I don't exactly have the voice of angels, okay? But neither did the people we were surrounded by, okay? I'm just going to, right? Especially when we all sang, and in particular when we were all screaming, right? Because you've been to a concert where you're screaming and your voice goes out and then you start choking, right? That's, that's typically how it goes. However, as all of us sang and as all of us were screaming, it was one voice. It was one loud voice celebrating and fanning over these bands. The other thing that I noted was regardless of the terrible voices in unison, it did not hinder the music. They kept it going. Everyone can sing. Everyone can sing. Whether we know how to sing, that's a separate conversation. Whether we want to sing is another conversation. Everyone can sing. Let me say it this way. Have you ever been to a football game? I'm going to, to butcher this, but many of you have been to a football game. Ozzy, you're wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. I'm assuming you've seen a game or two. So 
Many of you have seen or been to football games. Everyone screams at these games. You don't even have to know what is happening and you become a fan of whatever is happening because the celebration is so captivating. I can, I can prove this to you, I'll embarrass him. So my son, he is in the marching band at Memorial High School, right? He's like the top saxophone guy, whatevs, right? He's an excellent musician right? He marches really, really well, right? Prior to this, he had not really gone to a football game. After his first football game, homeboy came home without a voice, right? And it was like, why, why is your voice gone? And he was saying, well, it's because we were cheering and we had touchdowns and all of these things were happening. All of a sudden, the energy in the game became so captivating to him that he could not help but participate in what was going on uh, within his school. You could apply that if you are a diehard fan of a particular team. Diehard fans are an irony. And I'm not just talking about if you love football, right? You can, you can apply this to whatever it is you want. But diehard fans are kind of an irony. They're cheering on a team wearing, uh, that they're not on, wearing the jersey of someone else's name who is playing and winning the game for them. It's kind of an irony, but we love it. Why not? How much more, how much more should we as Christians sing as we worship the Lord Jesus? the one who entered into our mess, lived in our stead, died in our place, beating and having victory over something we could not and cannot do for ourselves. Church, we must sing. Here's why. Here's my main idea. I always give you the main idea on Sundays. Here we go. Here's why I think you should sing. Singing is an overflow of grace brought by the reconciling work of the gospel. Say that one more time. Singing is an overflow of grace brought by the reconciling work of the gospel. In short, the Christian cannot help but sing because of what Jesus has done for us and is doing through one another. That is, if we are so captivated by Christ's redeeming work for us, we cannot help but sing and worship him through song. Often, we don't sing for a variety of reasons. And I want you to know that many of those reasons aren't even theological ones, but they tend to be personal and many of them tend to be selfish. So I'm just gonna put that on the table. So with all that being said, I'm gonna read Colossians 3. We're gonna go 12 through 16. I'm just gonna give you a brief context of 12 through 15 in a bit. We're gonna spend the bulk of our time in verse 16. Here we go. Beginning in verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul says writes. Put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above, above all else, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let me pray. Lord, may the song of our hearts this morning proclaim your mercy and your grace and your salvation. May the song of our hearts praise the name of Jesus and none else. 
May the song of our hearts praise you for who you are and what you have done for us through Christ. May your word penetrate our bones. May it pierce our soul and expose our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be made vulnerable in order to come before you in confidence. And Lord, may we come before you in confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. God, we ask that you hear the song of our hearts for the glory of your name and our sanctification. Amen. All right, y'all ready? Okay. Here we go. In verses 12 through 15, it's a little warm in here, yeah? Or maybe it's just these lights. Okay, well, maybe it's both, because I'm at work, so this is. All right, here we go. In verses 12 through 15, Paul is building up the church in light of their new identity based on what Jesus has done for them. In Colossians 3, a 100,000-foot view of Colossians 3 is Paul reminding the church of what Jesus has done for them, and as a result, he is reminding them of their new identity, which is why when we get to verse 12, he says, put on then. In other words, who you were, this, uh, who you were is someone else, therefore put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Paul is building them up. We could say it this way. He is edifying them in light of what Jesus has done for them. And he builds this up to verse 16. Because in light of what Paul is saying, right, it is not only that we have been redeemed by Christ. Again, this is a very, very general overview of Colossians 3. It is not only that we have been redeemed by Christ, it is that because we have been redeemed by his blood, that means that we have been purchased out of our slavery and bondage to sin. Everyone now is equal. And because we are equal, we are new. And because we are new, our nature has now changed not only our status. That's why Paul is building upon this is who you were, this is who you are now in Christ. And so yes, it pertains to your identity, but it also pertains and applies to your activity. And so we build up to verse 16, right? In verse 16, Paul begins by telling us something about singing. Now, here's, here's what's so cool. Here's what I love about verse 16. Before Paul tells us to sing or that we should sing, he says that it all begins with God's word. Look at verse 16. This is actually just the beginning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Before we even get to the singing part, before we get to how worship stirs you up, before we get there, you and I need to know something. We need to know that the prerequisite to worship is the reconciling work of the gospel for sinners. How do we know that? Because God has revealed that to us in Christ through his word. We haven't gotten to the singing part yet. If we are going to worship, it must begin with the reconciling work of the gospel for sinners. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and part of his job is to help remind us the things Jesus has said. And in addition to that, the word ought to dwell richly in us because you and I ought to revel in the word of God daily. That's where it begins. When he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, our worship begins with the reconciling work of Christ for us. 
Where do we find that? Where do we learn about that? Where can we grow in that? It is through the word of God because it is the primary way in which he has revealed himself to us. That's what we were talking about last week. So, why should we revel in the word daily? I'm sure a lot of you can come up with a lot of answers. It is certainly for our own worship. That's true. But on Sunday, it is for the edification of the church. We're going to talk about that specifically in just a moment. But part of the reason you and I ought to uh, revel in the word, part of the reason the word ought to dwell richly in you and I is so that when we gather on Sunday, we would edify one another. As I mentioned, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But here's what I want to say regarding this first part of verse 16. Finding ourselves in God's word daily protects us from poor theology when it comes to the context of singing. When you and I devote time to revel, worship, and saturate ourselves in the word of God on a daily basis. Yes, we are in worship. And two, we are growing in our understanding so that we would guard ourselves from poor theology when it comes to singing. There are many songs out there that are popular today. You might even know some of them. I'm not gonna give you like any like, check, don't listen to these, I'm not gonna do that. But there are many songs out there that are popular today that lack solid biblical truths about the character of God. And here's the thing, Christians eat them up. And part of the reason that Christians eat these songs up is because Christians do not know of the character of God as he reveals it to us in his word. We rather find emotive pleasure in a certain song than dwell in God's word richly. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about whether or not a song is catchy. I'm talking about what the song actually says. When we embrace those kinds of songs, we run the danger of not only embracing poor theology about the character of God, but we distort the message of the gospel, whether it would be something that we preach to ourselves or something that we preach to other people. Or there are songs out there that have beautiful truths about the person and work of Jesus, yet those songs may connect people to churches who have or lack an understanding of the character of God. The prerequisite for worship isn't your training or your emotional sensitivity. It's the reconciling work of gospels for, excuse me, the reconciling work of the gospel for sinners. And unless you are searching the scriptures daily, we looked at that verse in Acts 17 last week. Unless you are searching the scriptures daily, unless you are actually using discernment, you run the risk of embracing poor theology about the character of God. You run the risk of preaching a gospel that is contrary to what we see in Scripture. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5. Here's what he says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So if we reference that to Colossians 3, he's talking about what God has done for us. And because of what God has done for us, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, what did he do? Reconciled us to himself. 
He doesn't say, hey, we're a new creation because of the stirring of your emotions that has happened. You are a new creation because some song really hit deeply. No, you are a new creation because through uh, Christ, you have been reconciled to the Father. Worship begins with reconciliation. That's where it begins. Still haven't gotten to singing. And so when we gather to edify one another through singing, it is because we are rooted, grounded, standing firm on the word of Christ that ought to be dwelling richly in Christians. So point number one, singing begins with the word. Point number two, singing is for edification. Now, got to be careful here. This is the part where I think, I could be wrong, this is the part where we as the church get in trouble. Oftentimes, many can and will sing because it is their own personal experience. Therefore, it is my bubble in my chair with my mask. I'm just going to sing, right? Then there are others who are drawn to congregations or churches because the fog is tight, the, 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 the lights are colorful, the guitars are tuned. I love all that. And they are drawn because uh, they want an experience. The music that we play, the instruments that we use, are tools to serve you, to point you to the person and work of Christ. Therefore, if we approach, I suppose, congregational singing as individual consumers, then we miss the point of congregational singing. Congregational singing has more to do with the ministry that we are all involved in together, and that is to edify one another. Like Ephesians 4 talks about uh, doing the work of ministry, the saints doing the work of ministry. When we sing, we are doing ministry together for one another. And so when we worship through singing, this is what Paul says, right? Let's look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When we worship through singing, we're doing at least two things. At least two things. Here's the first one. Remembrance. This is going to fall under teaching and admonishment. But at the very least, remembrance. Here's the thing about remembrance. You and I are quick to forget who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us and are even faster to default to who we once were, okay? Especially when the week has been challenging, difficult, and discouraging. Singing helps to remind us of what God has done for us. Singing helps to encourage one another to keep going, to express how we're feeling in a way that draws us closer and near to Jesus. There's this hymn, I love it. It's called uh, Come Thou Font, right? Font, sorry. Here's the line that I like. I don't even know if that's the right, right way to say it. The lyric, I guess. The line, thanks, Eric. All right, here we go. This is my favorite line in that hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. When we sing that song, everybody's hands go up. Everybody's voices gets louder, whether it's within our church or when I've gone to conferences where there's a couple hundred people and everybody is singing that. It is such an encouragement to me because it tells me I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. And in addition to that, I can hear that one person in the back just wailing the lyrics, encouraging me to fix my eyes on Jesus. They think they're just singing. They're discipling me. They're discipling me in that moment. Many of you disciple me in those moments. 
Further, you are discipling and encouraging and edifying one another when you're singing. When it's been a really rough season and you know that God is good, it just it didn't feel that way this week. And you come to Sunday gathering and you're kind of like running on empty. And then you hear someone off key wailing a hymn. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is just reminding you of who you are and what God has done for you in Christ. Therefore, you are a new creation. You have been given a new heart. You belong to the Father. That's what singing does. So if you're coming here because you just want to stay in your chair and do your own thing, that's being a consumer. Singing edifies the church. The context of Colossians 3.16 isn't the individual. It is Paul addressing the church. Additionally, Singing in remembrance admonishes us. You know what admonishing is? It's, it's, a, it's a word of warning, something very firm. God through Moses in Deuteronomy 6 says this, take, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So we have that kind of circumstance where we come into the Sunday gathering, we're beat up and we're discouraged. And man, as voices are singing and worshiping God, we are reminded of who we are in Christ. But then at the same time, sometimes people come in, this might be you, you might come in and your heart is just hardened. And you don't like the singing because the guitar was off tune or someone else is singing louder than normal. You are hardened in this part of our worship gathering. How do those voices edify you? They edify you or they ought to edify you by admonishing you, telling you, do not forget what God has done for you. You are a new creation because Christ has freed you from your bondage to slavery and sin by his blood. That's why you are here. That's why we are worshiping. And so, yeah, sometimes you might come in with a hardened heart. Part of our ministry, us doing ministry together, is discipling that person too, is edifying and admonishing that person too, not just the one who's had a hard week. The second reason as to why we sing is for our spiritual formation, particularly through humility. Singing is formative because it's humbling. It's humbling because we're vulnerable. Whether you have an amazing voice or not so much, you're vulnerable. But, but, when we're vulnerable, in worship, we embrace self-forgetfulness. We forget about ourselves as the word is dwelling richly in us. It's no longer about us. You've had those moments, or I hope you have had those moments where as you sing, it is really just this worship of the risen king, and it is not about you. That's self-forgetfulness. That is you vulnerable and emptied of pride and self-righteousness. Parents, let me just give you this little piece. It is formative for our children to watch us sing and cry. They need to see that. I don't have a really good voice. Didn't ask. Didn't ask. It's crazy. I didn't see that in verse 16. <laughs> right? When we read, uh, in addition to verse 16, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, Hebrews 10, 23, he goes on to say, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
So that first part, if we apply it in the context of singing, we are reminding one another of hold fast. We're reminding one another of, of holding fast to the faith that we have. Holding fast to the one who is faithful. How is that formative for, for our children? We are preaching Christ to our children when we sing. The author continues, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, some but encouraging one another. There's that, uh, it's, a, it's another word for edifying one another. Singing is formative because when we sing loudly, it's for us, but it's not about us. Worshiping while singing. If singing begins with the word of God, then worshiping while singing helps to remind one another of the grace of the gospel for sinners. When it just doesn't feel like this is for me, and the saints around you are singing loudly, you are reminded of who you are and what Jesus has done for you. Number three, singing is a grace. <clears throat> Paul closes this verse by telling us that singing is a grace, and yes, it is a gift from God, but that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. It is the fact that we are worshiping the Lord Jesus through singing that it is a grace. That we didn't earn anything to worship the risen king, but the fact that we are worshiping Jesus together is a grace. And it is by his grace that we have been saved, not according to our works done by us in our righteousness, but according to his mercy. And by his grace, we worship through singing loudly, loudly. Paul uses the word thankfulness here. Let's read it. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word thankfulness here, um, it does mean gratitude, though that's not necessarily the context that Paul is using it in. It's, it's more of a rendition uh, on the word grace. In other words, Paul is saying that singing is a response to grace with grace. As you and I have received the grace of God through Christ, we cannot help but respond to him with grace for one another. Say that one more time. As you and I have received the grace of God through Christ, we cannot help but respond to him with grace for one another. I want you to listen to Revelation 5. Everybody gets nervous on Revelation. Here we go, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and, the li and living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Singing is a response to grace with grace. Many of you, or for many of you, singing might just be something you don't do. And your reasons might vary. It could be because someone made a dumb comment. <laughs> it could be because of fear of man. What are people gonna think of me? 
I'm not really tuned, right? It could be because it's just something you don't do. Or maybe you didn't even know you should sing. That was mine. I remember being a new Christian standing in the back, watching everybody raise their hands and singing and wondering why. So maybe you just didn't know. Some of these reasons I want to be understanding of, and I will be. And they may simply take time to move forward from them. However, if an individual doesn't sing, if you don't sing, I'm not sure, I'm just going to be straight up, I'm not sure that you would be in sin. I'm not saying you are. Don't quote me. However, if you never sing and your heart is hardened regularly in this area, then that is a different story and I would say you are in sin. When you choose not to edify the church, admonish the church, teach the church, and be edified yourself by the church, you are withholding grace from others. And of that, you must repent. That's a different story than learning to gain confidence, being discipled well. Those are different applications. If your heart, however, is hardened, you need to know that when we don't engage worship through singing, because here's the thing, you worship. Everybody worships. It's just a question of who or what. Okay? So worship isn't the problem. That's not your problem. Your heart is. And when your heart is hardened in the context, for instance, of the Sunday gathering, when it comes to congregational singing, you withhold grace from others. And so it's about you and your self-righteousness. Make no mistake, church. Singing is a response to the grace of God for us with grace for one another. So as we close up, Christian, if you don't sing for reasons that you're unwilling to address, unwilling to learn from, or you're unwilling to surrender your ego, your pride, your self-righteousness, then you miss the point of worship through singing and you withhold the grace of God toward others. Singing begins with the word of God and not your talent. Singing begins with, or singing is because of Jesus' work for you, not your resume. So if there is sin being left unchecked, repent of that sin this morning. Turn toward the Lord Jesus and sing loudly this morning for he is worthy of your worship. And when you do so, I promise you will be edifying the church and you will be edified by the church. And if you don't know Christian, or if you don't know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're here. And while you don't know him, you can come to know him this morning. You can come to know Jesus by faith and repentance and sing alongside saints who praise not themselves, but the risen King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Church, singing is the overflow of grace brought by the reconciling work of the gospel for sinners. Let's pray, and then let us sing. <laughs> As I pray, I'm just going to go straight into uh, a, a prayer of confession. Um, and so what I would ask, uh, here, let me actually, let me set you up with this, right? We're going to pray. We're going to read some prayers. We're going to guide you through this. The whole point of this time 
isn't simply an extension of prayer. The whole point of this time is to serve you by leading you to worship God through prayer. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by practicing silence and solitude. So we're going to move slow, and it's all good, because God is good. And so let me pray, and then we'll just, we'll just keep going. God, as we come before you in prayer, as we come before you to respond to you in prayer, God, would you meet us where we are with your grace? For some, we're going to be reflecting just on what it means to worship by singing. For some of us, we are uh, convicted of our sin because you, Holy Spirit, are doing a work in us. Not just convicting us, but compelling us to confess. Others are going to experience all of that simultaneously to realize that Jesus is worthy of our praise, of our worship, and our adoration. But before we get there, may we be humbled right now the prerequisite to worship that 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 includes prayer the prerequisite to worship is the reconciling work of Jesus towards sinners that Jesus entered into human history lived the life that we cannot live died the death that we deserve to die on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to the Father. No longer separated, no longer an orphan, no longer lost, but found. But now a son or a daughter God, it is an understatement to say that 2020 has been a trip. We've seen some good things, oddly. We've seen some bad things. And we've seen some challenging, challenging things. One of the things that that has just been put before us, Lord, is how we, is how we view what we believe about Jesus. That is what has been put before us. Lord, there have been many who have fallen away completely. There are those who are discouraged and have just backed off Lord, even ourselves, we'd be lying if we did not say that we have experienced doubts this year. Yet in the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, you have not changed. Your word has not changed. your grace has still been poured out. And so God, as we come before you, confessing our sin, may that be exactly where we start. May this time of prayer begin with us, our hearts, and our need for you. So church, I'm going to read a prayer. You can keep your head bowed. 
going to have some moments of silence throughout this. Oh God of grace, you have imputed my sin to my substitute and have imputed Christ's righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But Lord, in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My tears have so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tainted with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving a change of clothing. For you always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me. And you are always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me to never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of grace. <laughs>